what is this stuff we are downloading? Ho, 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 hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is St. Nicholas on this wonderful Christmas Eve episode of the Swally. And as always, I'm joined by St. Gregolas. <laughs> How are you, Greg? Very oh, well. I wish I think... If you're going to be Saint Nicholas, what does that kind of make me in the in the in the Christmas pantheon? But I'll settle for I'll settle for Sir Gregolas. Yeah, I'm going to give you that. I mean, I'm not going to call you. I was thinking about maybe the Grinch, but I'm probably I'm probably more of a Grinch than you are when it comes to Christmas. So, yeah, I don't know why I did that. I fucking hate Christmas. Why am I actually? I don't. I used to, but I, I've kind of warmed on it again recently. I love Christmas, so I do. It's brilliant. Well, last year we went home to Scotland for Christmas for the first time ever since we moved to the Middle East. It's always obviously at Christmas time. All the airlines put their put their uh, flights up. Well, they used to before there was a pandemic and they were and no one was flying. But last year we thought let's book it early and let's go. And so we went to stay at my dad's in Cumbernauld, and like the kids had a really good time. But I think I was a wee bit grinchy, to be honest, because you know what it's like when you're when you go home. You're just you're kind of living out a suitcase, which is a pain in the arse at the best of times. But when your suitcase is also full of Christmas presents for people, and the other thing, and this is going to make it sound like a right Dubai wanker, but in the Middle East, you tend to have quite a lot of space compared to what you would. You sort of take it for granted a wee bit until you go home. And then I'm in my dad's wee maisonette and his living room's small. There's like fucking 12 of us all fighting for space in the living room on Christmas Day. Like my nieces and nephews are there. It's just noisy. Everyone's, you know, all the kids are all excited and I'm just not drunk enough. Do you know what I mean? And I was just, and I I, I feel a bit guilty because everybody else had a good time, but I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to get home. But then we also drove up to see my mother, who lives outside Aberdeen, and they've got a bigger house. But even, like, me and Paula had to sleep in the living room. So my sister and her husband, somehow they get the guest bedroom at my mother's. I don't know how that works. That should go to me, because I'm the oldest. But she's the favourite, you see. So she gets the guest bedroom. My other sister, my younger sister, was back in her uh, her bedroom anyway, her sort of childhood bedroom. And my kids were in... Uh, the what used to be my sister's bedroom when she lived there, and me and Paula had to sleep in a fucking living room on a fold-out bed. It's bullshit. So I'm glad to, this year that we're having Christmas here at home in uh, Dubai, and my in-laws are coming for a month, so that'll be nice. And oh, just be grateful you got a fucking bed when you slept, <laughs> and you're moaning about sleeping in your parents' lounge. Poor Mary and Joseph had to sleep in a fucking stable on Christmas. And did they complain? No. They had visitors round. They had shepherds and wise men. And I think some dude called Gabriel came round as well. You don't hear them complaining. They fed fucking eight, nine people in a stable. And you're complaining about having to sleep in a lounge. You've got to get your priorities straight yeah. there, mate. I know it's a first world problem, but... I don't think that uh, Mary and Joseph catered for the wise men and the shepherds. I think they just kind of turned up with, 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 with presents. And why would you bring, like, a newborn baby some fucking perfume? What's he supposed to do with it? 
And and what's the pair? Is 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 frankincense the per the perfume or is it myrrh? One of those two things is perfume. What use is a newborn baby got for that? Yeah, but maybe you know, not every present is for the child. Maybe it's for the parents, mm. you know, or maybe it was for the child. It was to get rid of the stink of donkey <laughs> shit in the stable. Maybe, maybe it was. And I want to know what what Mary and Joseph did with the gold because, you, as far as I know, Joseph was back in the tools when they got back when they when they left Bethlehem. He's back to work as a carpenter. I think it was straight down to cash converters. They cashed in that gold, and then he was down to the bookies. <laughs> yeah. And had it on the three thirty at Jerusalem, uh, and and lost it. The three thirty, the three thirty Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, I know. I suppose uh, there's uh, plenty of people don't have anywhere to sleep at Christmas. You know, You've got to remember those people, even in these modern times when they aren't carrying an immaculately an immaculately conceived child. You know. Yes, of course, but. We are going to remain positive here on the Swally today. It is our Christmas special after all. Uh, so coming up later, we are going to be looking at the 1984 Bill Forsyth classic, Comfort and Joy, which is all about the joys of Christmas. In terms of this week, have you seen anything in the news that has caught your eye in Scotland, Greg? <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Uh, I have. Let me just bring it up here. So this first one, it's a, it's a bit of a short, a bit of a short story. This one. Uh, the the headline is "What the Truck," and basically on the A eight zero one, the road that connects Falkirk and Bathgate. Once again, uh, Falkirk, not failing to disappoint. Somebody's taken a picture of a truck driver standing naked behind outside his lorry in the middle of the night and uh, appears to be pleasuring himself. I'm, I'm sorry. He, so he's completely yeah. naked and he's he hasn't just had a pee and he's had a couple of shakes. He's, he's actually going hammer and tongs. That, that is the contention here. Um, I'll read you the story. This is the moment a trucker was pictured naked and pleasuring himself in a West Lothian lay-by. The bizarre snap from last night shows a man standing outside his lorry on the A801 between Falkirk and Bathgate. The incident is believed to have happened just before 11pm. According to witnesses, the male was seen pleasuring himself by the roadside as temperatures took a chilly plunge. One of them said, I was on a rest stop and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was tired, so I had to do a double take. But yes, he was naked. Other motorists must have seen him. Cars were passing by all night. Now, they're making an assumption that the lorry uh, belongs to this naked fella. So, maybe it does, right? But he has to be pretty determined to be standing outside in the west of Scotland in late November with nothing on. To have a wank. I know that it's probably quite a lonely lifestyle being a, a lorry driver. It, it doesn't say whether he's a long distance, uh, whether he's one of these long distance lorry drivers or not. But still, I mean, that you have to be pretty determined, right? To get your kit off. Well, stand out there on the road. Two things, there's two things cross my mind in this scenario. And there's, there's two situations, really. 
situation one, it isn't actually his lorry, but he is just such a fan of trucks. <laughs> and, you know, he could be a truck spotter or a, you know, a truck collector. And he's seen this truck that he has been searching for for years. And he was just so overcome with excitement that he had to take all his clothes off and have a wank. Possibly. Yeah, you can. That's option yeah. one. What's option two? O- option two is that it is some sort of strange kind of ritual to the late Peter Sutcliffe, who was a truck driver. Some sort of tribute to the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tribute to the Yorkshire Ripper that he has taken his clothes off. And nowadays, obviously, you can't get away with attacking a lady. I mean, you couldn't in yeah, Sutcliffe's days. I'm pretty sure either. that was never okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's never okay. Uh, so this is his peaceful protest, his peaceful tribute to the late Peter Sutcliffe. That's that's my two theories. Oh, do you have yeah. anything, or do they go into anything in no, the article? No, no. I mean, I've I've read you the whole article. Pretty short little story. It is possible that, to your point, the lorry doesn't belong to him, but it's some sort of like truck driver form of dogging. So rather than. <laughs> I didn't even think about dogging. That's probably the most reasonable explanation. So rather, than, rather than a load of like weird guys standing round a car with their cocks in their hand watching some couple go at it, maybe the lorry driver stays in his cab and watches from the warmth of his cab while his mate stands outside with his clothes off and, and bangs one out. Do we know that this lorry wasn't Optimus Prime <laughs> and it's some sort of... <laughs> kind of fetish you know that he's getting off maybe Megan Fox was inside his cab maybe but still why would you take you I mean maybe Megan Fox was in his cab and he said something they were about to like make love he said something that's upset her she's told him to get the fuck out the cab right now and he's just been stood out there and he's been sort of half cocked and he's thought well fuck it I'll show her I'll just sort myself out out here I bet that's it. I'll bet he had his girlfriend in the cab and they've, they've had a row and she's fucking, get out of this cab. And he's, like, he's she's sort of chased him out into the night <laughs> with nothing on. And he's just, <laughs> and he's just finished just, himself off in a lay-by. He's just angrily staring <laughs> yeah. at her. Whilst um, masturbating. Furiously. Masturbating. Masturb- <laughs> masturbating furiously at the side of the road. Does it say he was furious about it? Doesn't say that. Was he... It doesn't say that he, how enthusiastically he was blessing himself. <laughs> I mean, there was one comment on here. So it's eleven o'clock at night, right? This guy is this guy that was a witness who said other motorists must have seen him. Cars were passing by all night, just as well it was late. Hopefully, no kids were in any cars that went by. I'm like, well, one, to, he's kind of made his own point. It's 11 o'clock at night. The chances of kids being in, little kids being in the road at that time of night is unlikely. And two, I'm not sure you would, the, the angle of the picture suggests that you would have to park up behind the lorry to have seen him anyway. If you were just driving past, you probably wouldn't have seen him. Anyway, Police Scotland have been contacted. So I'm sure uh, I'm sure we'll find out the identity of, of, of the. The lay-by wanker <laughs> at a later date. But if you've got, if you have any theories as to how he ended up 
naked at the side of the road, banging one out, then by all means, write in and tell us. And if we think it's funny, maybe we'll read it out. Whilst we've been talking, I have been Googling, and there is a... (laughs) You see the picture, right? You thought... You thought this... No, I haven't Googled this story. Right. You thought this was going to be a short story. It's it's grown legs right. here. okay. This is a, a website which is the UK's leading road haulage marketplace. So I think it's where people buy and sell right. trucks. And it's called returnloads.net. <laughs> <laughs> which, which could explain some of the, the, uh, the instances. They have a list of the 15 most famous truck drivers in the world. Right. Now, I'm going to just mention a few because this list is fantastic. And the, these are effectively the 15 most famous people in the world who have driven a truck at once upon a time. So, for example, Charles Bronson. He used to be a truck driver. Right. Okay. Not the UK nutter. No, the actor. The, the yeah. actor, yeah. Uh, James Cameron, the director. He used to be a truck driver. Big Tam, Sean Connery, he was a truck driver at one point. Chevy Chase was a truck driver. Rock Hudson, Richard Pryor, Viggo Mortensen, Liam Neeson, Elvis Presley. Then this is where the list gets a little bit strange. It's true, though. Chris Eubank. Now, he does drive a truck. Oh, he does drive a truck. He does drive a truck. That's his sort of chosen means of conveyance. He doesn't drive a truck for work. He drives a truck to get around the place. Yeah, he does drive a truck. Then they mention uh, Robert Duval, who apparently was a truck driver at one point. They mention Sylvester Stallone, I think because he drove a truck in over the top. Mm-hmm. And topping off our list, I shit you or not, Peter Sutcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Sutcliffe, He's down his- the most famous person to drive a truck. Are you serious? Just to, uh, to read the bio that they've put for him, Peter Sutcliffe. Otherwise known as the Yorkshire Ripper, Sutcliffe was notorious for a series of 13 murders between 1975 and 1980. Eventually, he was apprehended in 1981. He was given a whole life order, meaning he would never be released from custody. Sutcliffe also had experience as a truck driver. His job gave him so much more flexibility, allowing him to pick his shifts. He's arguably the most infamous truck driver ever. I don't know why I did that voice, but it felt like it needed kind of, you know, one of those voices yeah. to do that list. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't believe that returnloads.net in their list of most famous truck drivers ever have Peter Sutcliffe. I'm, I'm sort of shocked and stunned by that. Next episode, we're going to have a look on, I don't know, cement mixers. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be cement mixers. It would be like big cement loads <laughs> And see if Fred West is in like the fifteen most famous builders of all time. He's he's got to be up there. <laughs> he's got to be. I mean, I can't think of a more famous builder off the top of my head, to be honest. Bob. Well, other than Bob the builder, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's my uh, naked masturbating truck driver uh, story. What have you? Uh, what have you found this week? It's Christmas. So I wanted to have some nice stories for Christmas, but I couldn't really find any. Well, I did. I found a few. And then I'm thinking, well, that's not what the swally's about. You know, do I go nice? Do I go not? And then I saw the headline, Drunk Edinburgh Gran slashed neighbor's arm and shoulder with Stanley knife in violent row. And I thought, that's for me. That's for the swally. Yeah. They had you. They had you at, they had you at Drunk Edinburgh Granny. They had me at Drunk Edinburgh Granny. <laughs> 
and they they won me over completely with Stanley Knife. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's not a funny story, so I shouldn't really laugh, but it is quite funny in a way. Uh, a drunk Edinburgh grandmother has left her neighbour with permanent scars after slashing her with a Stanley Knife. To gloss over the story a little bit, the, this grandmother, Constance Blythe, who is 57, was having an argument with her neighbour, Leslie Sharp, with the, uh, Leslie Clark, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. It was a standing knife that was uh, sharp. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm reading ahead because Leslie Clark, uh, she was having the argument with her with the sharp work tool in October last year. The pair became involved in a doorstep row. Now, you know how people get when they're having a doorstep row with your neighbour. Things can get a bit heated. Constance ended up ripping out a Stanley knife and left Miss Clark with six deep wounds on her left hand, arm and shoulder. The violent bust-up was only broken when another neighbour intervened and headbutted Constance in the face (laughs) to stop the fight. For fuck's sake. (laughs) Miss Clark had to be rushed to St John's Hospital in Livingston for treatment uh, because her scars with the Stanley knife were, were so bad. So she's been left with permanent scars on the side of her body. Now, Constance has admitted the attack and said, it's a fair cop, I did it. And it's not really surprising because when the police arrived to her house, uh, they came in and they found the bloody Stanley knife just lying on the coffee table. Constance clearly absolutely fucking pished. And possibly concussed as well, maybe. (laughs) Possibly concussed from the headbutt. And when the police asked her, all she said was, I was just trying to help the lassie. Constance, how on earth are you trying to help her by slashing her six times with a Stanley knife? Her solicitor, his defence was, it has to be accepted that this is a very serious matter. She is full of remorse, although she has absolutely no recollection of the events. This is something that comes up a lot on the mm-hmm. swally of people that seem to have no recollection of Anything that they've done. The evidence is clear. She has committed the offence. The DNA, the blood, it's all complete evidence. The fucking bloody Stanley knife on our coffee table when the cops turned up. Apparently it's very unusual behaviour because she has two grandchildren and she understands the gravity of this offence. Unfortunately, Constance was given a six-month home liberty arrest order. Uh, So she has to stay at her home address between the hours of 7pm and 7am. I bet her neighbour is delighted at that. Yeah, she's right next door. I mean, I think everybody's stuck in the house in the UK at the moment anyway, right? Especially in Scotland. Yeah, they are. And I think that's the thing, because uh, I remember our our hero from Falkirk uh, a few weeks ago with the bookies, he was given the Mm -hmm. same kind of punishment, that you have to stay home between 7pm and 7am. Yeah, fine. That's okay. I'll manage that. I've got my Stanley knife. I'm sorted. The, the image of this grandmother battling with her neighbour, slashing her with a Stanley, and then another neighbour having to intervene and just headbutting her to stop. How do you stop the attack? I'll just go straight in with a <laughs> Straight in with a Malky. <laughs> <laughs> but what was a granny doing with a Stanley knife in the house anyway? Just think home protection? I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe she's a carpet fitter. <laughs> You've no idea what she does in her spare time. Arts and crafts. I don't know. Maybe just... Well, I'll tell you what she's doing with her name. Uh, a Stanley knife. She's cutting up her neighbour. Yeah. That's what she's doing. Hmm. Well, my next story is a slightly different flavour to a geriatric assault. Um, porn probe, this is. 
Scots Council launched Probe after hardcore pornography shared by high school Twitter accounts. <laughs> you would, you would listen to this and thinking, why, why is that funny? I don't think that's funny. I've got, I don't want my children seeing hardcore porn. Trust me, I've got two kids. I don't want my kids seeing hardcore porn either. But when it's someone else's kid, it's funny. Sorry, right? Um, <laughs> so a Scots council has launched an investigation after hardcore pornography was shared by a school Twitter account. The social media account for Taylor High School in Motherwell retweeted graphic adult images. So there's <laughs> this. <laughs> it's a picture of the first one. It says Taylor High School retweeted. The, the tweet says, have a great week, pervy people, um, with a little, the little emoji with the you sort of hand over his mouth. It says hashtag pervy couple, hashtag goon couple, hashtag couples that perv together. And the picture's been scrambled in the newspaper, so I'm not really sure what's going on, but apparently it's a shocking graphic image. Um, The tweets included sex scenes and pictures of naked men and women from a number of different Twitter profiles. The the school account has since been deleted. North Lanarkshire Council have launched a probe into the indecent images shared after the school profile was compromised. A spokesperson said we immediately took action as soon as we were made aware that a school social media account had been compromised and offensive material posted. So the next, (laughs) this comes from the Scottish Sun. So they're just putting these uh, screenshots of (laughs) of these tweets up. Um, So Taylor High School retweeted, ready for a hot bath. It's like a normal bath, but with you in it, winky face emoji. Then it says, hashtag Ass Wednesday, hashtag thick and hashtag booty. And the picture's been scrambled, but my keen eye detects that it's a picture of a young lady with nothing on, bending over as she is drawing herself a bath. So yeah, that's uh, Taylor Taylor High School in Motherwell. Do you think there's any danger of the the children actually following that Twitter account? I mean... Would you follow your school's Twitter account if you were a kid? Surely it's more the parents that will be I don't, getting to see. I that. don't even follow my daughter's um, school Twitter account, mate. If if mm. if the school tweets anything that my daughters are in, my my wife shows me. But apparently, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. Um, Olympic swimmer Duncan Scott was doing a live broadcast to schools on Zoom. He was doing a Zoom stream. Uh, obviously, I don't know what he was, how he was, how he, what he was doing, talking about swimming, probably maybe demonstrating his, his backstroke. When um, the Zoom stream was hijacked and somebody played hardcore pornography. <laughs> so I don't know if Duncan uh, changed one stroke for another, but um, it's also happened as well on CNN. Um the Pornhub tab popped up on an election graphic. So during the presidential election a couple of weeks ago, obviously there's like constant footage all the time showing which states have voted red and which states have voted 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 blue. And the Pornhub (laughs) logo (laughs) appeared, appeared on the election graphic. So there does seem to be a bit of a cyber crime wave, depending on how you look at it. A hilarious cyber crime wave where hackers are just dropping hardcore pornography in at the most inopportune accounts and moments. 
How do you feel about that? Yeah, but in terms of the election, obviously they're just, you know, showing a little bit of blue. <laughs> yeah. Or brown or pink, <laughs> just depending on... <laughs> just try to give us a break from the fucking endless coverage on every channel, all over social media, all over the internet, all over the fucking television. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a bit traumatic. They just need to, you know, have a couple of minutes to relieve some tension and then they can get on with the, the rest of the election coverage. I mean, I have to say, I did enjoy, there was a bit of a fad last year of people sending what appeared on the face of it to be quite benign little videos in WhatsApp, but they would say, oh, you've got to watch this with the sound on. And so you would put your sound up on your phone and it would start off fine, like someone's telling a joke. And then they had dubbed in a woman clearly at the point of orgasm screaming her head off. So like, you know, people would watch the videos in public and they would have to quickly turn the sound off. Um, and I, do you remember I managed to get our mutual friend with it when he was at some something to do with his kids <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was so angry about it that he outbid me on something on eBay. Do you remember? He fucking bid me up. <laughs> I do. To get, to get, yes, I do. To get his own back, the prick. <laughs> yeah, that was out of order. There's no need for that at all. There's no need for bidding up your pal on eBay. Just take a fucking joke. So yeah. So what's your next story? Now we all know about the the influence of television and whatnot. You know, we've all seen they live. Mm. We know it's all about consume. Have you ever seen anything on TV and thought that looks magic? I'd like to try that. Oh, yeah, all the time. All, the, all time. the time. Have you ever seen any drugs on TV and you've thought, that's magic, I'd like to try that? Mm, not recently. I, th- I think I've tried all the drugs when I was younger, so... <laughs> okay, so, I mean, yes. <laughs> um, my next story is about uh, an Edinburgh University student who had watched a TV show with his pals on LSD. And they were all so taken with this documentary that they decided to try it. And this poor lad ended up getting arrested for biting two coppers in the park. <laughs> what is it with people bite? What is it with people biting the police? I've heard loads of stories about guys getting out of order and biting policemen. I do feel a little bit sorry for this guy, but I don't know. I, you know, who knows? He could have amazing defence lawyers. Effectively, this university student, he'd taken LSD. They'd been watching TV and they'd seen this documentary on LSD and thought, that looks great. Let's try that. So they obviously managed to get some LSD and they'd taken it. And this 20-year-old student was found by police officers in an Edinburgh park, staring blankly and not responding to their questions. They tried to get him into the police van, and he attempted to bite one of the officers on the head and another on the leg. Fuck's sake. Can you, can you just tell me, just take a stab in the dark at what his defence is? I was high on LSD. You're close. It's, I have no memory of the Oh, events. right, yeah. <laughs> That old chestnut. To kind of get the the story going, uh, he'd consumed a... a, Now, this is the thing. (laughs) This is what makes this story even better. Him and his student pals had taken LSD in the morning and they were found in the park at 12.40pm. Fucking lunchtime. (laughs) They're in the park at lunchtime off their nut on LSD. (laughs) 
he's he's unresponsive. The police have come up to him and he's tried to pull away. They ended up getting him down on the ground. They put handcuffs on him, but then he managed to bend and break the handcuffs. Now, that is LSD what? strength. That is LSD strength. He then attempted to bite one of the police officers in the face. Now, this is where he gets a little bit unfortunate. The police officer dodged to get out the way, so he didn't bite him. But unfortunately, the police officer the police officer smacked his head off the van door and knocked himself out. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> and had to be taken to hospital for treatment of bruising and swelling. They eventually managed to get him back on the ground and properly handcuffed this time. Then he attempted to bite another police officer on the leg. It was at this point they decided to put the spit hood on him. They, they got him into an ambulance and he calmed down. He was fine. He got taken to hospital. Everything okay. Now, this poor lad, I, I say poor lad, I don't know why I'm on his side so much. He is in the third year of a master's course in physical education because he is studying to be a PE teacher. And that is his dream. Uh, Mr. McCory, he's originally from Aberdeen. Good place. He got good grades in high school and has been very good uh, at university. And him and his friends had seen this on a TV show about LSD and decided they wanted to experiment. He remembers taking the drug in the flat and then waking up in the hospital but remembers nothing in between. How scary. That's very spooky. The judge has actually deferred the case until January to decide what he's going to do with him because he realises that he's full of remorse and he does realise that if he gets a criminal record, that's his, you know, career. Fucked. Mm-hmm. You, you can't be a teacher. Yeah. And uh, as they've said, it was one moment of madness and it could, you know, ruin his whole life. I don't know. I think that's why I'm kind of erring with him. Like, fair play, poor lad. Like, he's 20. He's a student. Of course he's going to experiment with drugs. It doesn't mean that he's a bad person. He's just had a little bit of a bad trip and tried to bite a police officer. Fair play for taking LSD in the fucking morning (laughs) and being arrested at 20 to 1 in the afternoon. Like... That takes some doing, doing that in the morning, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, although, I mean, I've only taken LSD once. and In the morning? In the morning, at school, when I was 16. Oh. Uh, a friend, my friend, who I won't name in case, I don't know, I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, him and I halved a tab of acid. And all, and all that meant was that we just spent, like, the whole day laughing. It was a Friday, in fifth year at school. I think we took it during higher history, and I remember distinctly because we, we had higher history in the morning and then I had pee in the afternoon, but I had purposefully not taken my kit in because I had some work to do for English after lunch and I hadn't done it at home. So I thought I won't take my kit in and then I can sit and do it instead of doing PE. And we were doing The Great Gatsby. That was the book that we did for higher English. And I can't, I can't remember what exactly the line was, but there was a line... In the Great Gatsby, and it's not a very, it's not a funny book. Great <laughs> Gatsby, it's not a funny book at all. There's like no humour in it, but there was some line in it that made me laugh, and I literally laughed for the re- for most of the rest of the school day. So you just got funny, yeah. You didn't yeah. Try and bite your teacher or anything. No, but that night was the was also the first night that well, the, and the first and last night that I tried magic mushrooms. It was like, I mean, I've I have heard of people kind of losing their minds. There was always the kind of urban myths at school about guys that had taken... I remember the one that I used to hear all the time was this guy took acid and he thought that 
uh, this bag of mini Mars bars were like running out the bag and trying to stab him. <laughs> I heard that story about a hundred times. I, mean, I think I was still hearing that story when I started college. Uh, that story was still doing around. But I was v- very aware that I was on drugs. I wasn't like, oh, why is this happening to me? I, like I, you know, and, but all it was really was my perspective was a bit weird. I remember taking the dog for a walk that night and it was a bit like, remember those soft mints adverts from Mr. Soft? It was a wee, if it, it felt a wee bit like that. If it, it felt like the dog was, was kind of further away from me than he was, like his lead was longer, but I, I knew that it was because I had, I had taken drugs. I didn't, you know, I didn't think something was happening to me or anything. Do you have any more stories? So I don't have any more. Um, the only other story I have, and this is a Christmas kind of themed. This is from the Daily Record today, actually. Uh, this is exciting. And Greg, I think we would both appreciate this, living as expats. Did you know you can now send someone a bottle filled with fresh air from Scotland this Christmas? <laughs> Are you taking the fucking piss? There's a company. I, I They are fucking geniuses for thinking this up how did i not think this up they are selling bottles of fresh air filled from scotland england ireland and wales to punters overseas Uh, how much would you pay for a bottle of air from scotland probably fuck all oh uh, they've got two special limited edition ones as well you can buy a bottle filled with air from the london underground because who wouldn't want a bottle smelling of fucking tramps piss? And diesel, I know. Or you can buy a, a fish and chips edition, which smells of air bottled in a fish and chip shop, presumably. That is fucking... So what are they supposed to do with it? Because surely when you take the lid off, it's all going to rush out and your the bottle's going to be filled up again with just your normal boring air, whatever you live. Well, no, apparently not. This is technology (laughs) they have this this bottle now to me it's a bottle with a cork in it right but the way that they sell it and of course it's one of those things that's probably bought as a kind of joke present or like oh i bought you a bottle of scottish air you know because you you live abroad and stuff apparently they say if you just kind of lift up the cork and take a quick sniff and put the cork back in it'll last a few weeks you'll be able to sniff home for a few weeks at least and it will help you with your homesickness I'll be honest, you know, I haven't lived in Scotland for 13 years. I love going back, but I ain't homesick. I don't want to smell the air. What I want to smell, inside of a chipper, maybe. Mm. I could I could maybe go that. Um, Yeah, but they're charging £25 a bottle. That's an absolute outrage. It's absolute genius, <laughs> is what it is. I wish I had thought of this. I am going to have to think of something for next year. The, the big thing that I've seen a lot of recently, and I think you did this for your wife is people buying like very small sort of areas of land and I mean like sort of square meters of land in Scotland and you sort of gift that title so you become lady of this little bit of land or whatever you know or lord I did um now the only reason that we I did this was because we were watching Taskmaster Mm -hmm. and on I think it was an old series of Taskmaster I think it was series two and Catherine Ryan bought uh, Greg Davis a lordship for uh, like, I think they got given like 40 pounds by Taskmaster, the best gift you can. So bought the lordship and this, my wife was like, oh, I'd love to be a lady. And I was like, okay, right. Fair enough. Well, Christmas is coming up. Okay. I need a quick kind of gift that will be funny and 
but also a nice gift. So yes, I paid, well, I can't say because she might listen to this. It wasn't much. Um, And yes, she is now a lady of Glencoe and owns probably a postage size area of Glencoe. But still, there you go. She is a lady. It's not worth the paper our fucking certificate is printed on. The frame that I bought to put it in probably costs more, but never know. It, it's it's part of it, you know. It's it's the yeah, thing. Yeah. It's it's more of it's a, a fun gift. thing, you know. But yeah, it's better than a smell of Scotland in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. But I agree, it's a similar thing. Was there not a company selling like plots on the moon a few years ago or something like that? I don't remember. I mean, probably. But but who has? How can you like claim the moon? You know what I mean. I think that was the argument, that nobody really yeah. owns it. So you could sell plots of land on it, and it was fine. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't read about that. I mean, I, but I can I can believe it for sure. So shall we... It was your pick this week. You've already introduced it. Um, the Bill Forsyth 1984. Is it a Christmas movie? I suppose it's set at Christmas. It's not particularly festive, but it's got a very festive title. Comfort and joy. Now, it's not really a festive film, but it is a Christmas film. I will argue this because it is set at Christmas. So as you say, written and directed by Bill Forsyth, 1984's Comfort and Joy tells the story of Bill Patterson as early morning DJ Alan Dickie Bird. Alan is left at a bit of a loose end when his girlfriend suddenly ups and leaves him, taking most of his possessions with her. Later on, Alan witnesses an ice cream van being attacked by an angry competitor. He finds himself then in the middle of an ice cream war, taking over Glasgow, and ends up becoming the negotiator for both parties and tries to bring them together. Now, we'd mentioned this in the last episode. This was genuinely the first time I'd seen this mm-hmm. film. But you said you'd seen it once before. I had seen it once before, and not that long ago, I don't think, you know, Within the last sort of five to ten years, I think it was on the TV and I watched it. I remember maybe BBC Four or something doing a bit of a Bill Forsyth season, if you like. And I also watched that Sinking Feeling, his first film. But I just saw the end of it, actually. And Gregory's Girl was obviously on as part of it. And then The Comfort and Joy. So yeah, I had watched it before. I got to be honest, I don't think it's his best film. It's a wee bit slow in parts. I thought uh, comfort and joy. I, I, you know, I normally I would, I would sit and watch a, a movie for the Swally from beginning to end. But I have to admit, I watched it and I watched half of it and then watched the other half this morning. So I just, I just got a bit fed up. It's just, I don't know. Sorry. What did you think of it? Did you like it? I did. Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed it. It's not, I'll agree, it's not his best. I, I think if you're speaking about kind of the Bill Forsyth, you know, his four kind of classic Scottish films before he went off to Hollywood is That Sinking Feeling, Gregory's Girl, Local Hero, yeah. and Comfort and Joy. Yeah. Now, I think this is probably the, I'm not going to say the worst out of the four, but it's the, probably the, the least weakest kind of. Yeah, the weakest. I think That Sinking Feeling has such a, a lovely kind of sense to it that it's you know it was made on like a cheap budget and it's just his first film and it's so good because it's just so kind of put together and it has like a kind of lovely quality to it gregory's girl we've 
we've gone over on the podcast is just wonderful. Local Hero, we will obviously do at some point, and that is just a you know incredible film. Comfort and Joy, it, it encapsulates all of the Bill Forsyth things. It's quirky and silly, but it's also grounded in this kind of calm, and it, it just taps into human nature. I mean, we'll speak about the film, but there are some bits that... It, it's it's just my humour. There are just bits that it's just such a... Everything's normal, everything's grounded, and then just something will happen that is just so ridiculous. But not too ridiculous yeah. that it's completely obscene. It it still could realistically happen, but it it's just on the right edge of my kind of humour. I, I mean, effectively, this is about an ice cream war. So it is kind of based on real events, but in a in a humorous way in that there's no drugs or murders mm-hmm. kind of take place. Well, that's the thing. I was, re- I was, when I was reading about the film, apparently it wasn't particularly well received at the time because, as you touched on there a minute ago, these very serious ice cream wars were, were going on in Glasgow. And, you know... A, a, a house was firebombed and a lot of members of the same family died. And Bill Forsyth has said that he hadn't really... He had, he had heard there was an ice cream war going on. He didn't know what the details of it were. He he assumed that it was about ice cream. He didn't realise it was that these guys were using ice cream vans to sell drugs and that's where the conflict was coming from. He genuinely thought that it was about ice cream and he's obviously built this script around it. So it, it wasn't particularly well received, particularly in Glasgow at the time, which is a bit of a shame because Local Hero obviously had been massive. Like a huge film, he, got, he managed to get uh, Burt Lancaster in it, you know, fucking icon um, of the sort of golden age of Hollywood to come all the way to Pennon and... Um, the northeast of Scotland to be in this small film, and uh, and then this is his follow up, and I just felt that it's. Yeah, I agree with you. There is lots of those sort of signature Bill Forsyth moments. Like one that immediately springs to mind is when when he's watch, when he's watching this attack on a scream van, and one of the attackers when he's making his escape runs up and recognizes him as Dicky Bird off the radio. And is asking him for an autograph, but he's got a balaclava and all on his identity, and he's asking him for an autograph and asking him to to play a, a song for his mother and all that kind of thing. Hey, it's you, isn't it? It's Dicky Bird. Dicky Bird's here. I can't see. Get in the car. Give us an autograph, Dicky. I'm sorry, I don't have a pen on me. I'm sorry. Come on to hell. Let's get out of here. Give us a dedication, at least, there for my mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Tomorrow morning. Right. And what I will say is Bill Patterson is brilliant as uh, Dickie Bird. He's absolutely brilliant. I think he, I think he plays the part so well. So it does have all those kind of light touches that Bill Forsyth's very famous for. But I just felt it was a bit confused because in 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 some in some ways this ice cream war that's depicted in the film is kind of ludicrous, you know, and the more we find out about the protagonists in this ice cream war, the more kind of ludicrous it becomes. And arguably the resolution to it at the end is kind of ludicrous too. But then, but earlier on in the film, there is more of a sort of sinister feel to it, especially when the ice cream van gets smashed up, you know, because it's not just like they've come and flung some ice cream at the van or whatever. They've, they demolished this ice cream van with the, Alex Norton's character and Claire Grogan's character in it. I, I think 
to touch on upon that point, it is quite sinister to begin with when you see the, the car pulling up and the guys getting out with balaclavas and they start smashing out, you know, the van. But then Bill Versailles pulls it back when you get Trevor, uh, played by Alex Norton, coming out the back of the van and squaring, squaring, uh, squeezing like raspberry sauce into the, <laughs> the attacker's face. And that's when you're kind of you have to laugh. And then of course Claire Grogan comes out and she's squeezing and she's like throwing ice cream at the guy as well. Yeah. And then of course, as you say, they run off and they um one of the, the attackers has to stop Alan and ask for his autograph and then for a, a dedication the next day. Yeah. So it's instantly broken up. But you're right, it does seem quite sinister. Mm-hmm. And to go back to your point about Bill Patterson being great as as Alan Birds and um the thing about Alan Dickie Bird is you kind of think he should be a character that is like a smarmy arsehole. Mm. You know, he's a early morning DJ. He's kind of got the life. He's got, you know, the brand new BMW. He should be like a smarmy prick, but he's just such a nice, likable character yeah. as well. And he, he kind of wants to do good as well. You know, it, it's he's a nice, well-rounded character, but he is obviously trying to find something to fill the gap in his life and it's obviously the start of the film you you see him out with his his girlfriend who he's been with as we later find out for four years and then she just all of a sudden ups and leaves him and packs up Mm -hmm. what we're saying like 98 percent of the flat that belongs to hers as as he says you know everything belonged to her except for the mortgage (laughs) and he's he's trying to fill that gap and that's when he stumbles into this well, in fact, the reason he stumbles into it is because he's trying to find the gap and he goes out to replace the items, you know, pots and pans, as he explains it. And straight away, he's perving on all the women in the shop. And it's because he's perving on Claire Grogan's character that he ends up following the ice cream van and ends up in the middle of this whole situation. Yeah, and the thing is, the ice cream van, it's up, it's uh, that that scene is up at sort of Somerston near sort of Apostle Park and they should really, you would in the in the in the early eighties, you wouldn't drive. You wouldn't go up there with a brand new BMW, even if you were following an attractive girl in an ice cream van. As soon, I tell you, if it was me, as soon as I saw that ice cream van take the exit for Springburn, I'd be going back. <laughs> I'd be there, right? Fuck it. <laughs> and, like, sorry, Claire, yeah, not today. Yeah. yeah, I'll see you when you get back to a more reasonable area. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, I, you know, I think the film is sort of saved by those brilliant sort of uh, Bill Forsyth light touches but a lot of, there's a lot of sort of little story threads that start that don't really come to anything like the the is his pursuit of Claire Grogan for example because you you know when he when he follows her and everything and, and a bit later on in the film he has a conversation with her in the warehouse and asks if he, asks if he can take her out and everything and then it just sort of fizzles out there's no kind of yeah and when he when he goes to see Ricky Fulton who plays the who plays Hillary the boss of the radio station to say that he wants to do more serious journalism after seeing this attack in a scream van and it doesn't really you know, he's down at the riverside there and he's tra- he's recording a sort of investigative te- uh, sort of testimonial for a programme but then it doesn't really doesn't really come to anything either you know well I could argue with you on that I think uh, to your first point there was a deleted scene there was a scene filmed which comes in between the last two scenes of the film which uh, to jump straight ahead of course you know the last scene is him in the, the radio studio 
giving his kind of last ma- monologue on Christmas Day. Yeah. And the prior scene is effectively him solving uh-huh. the ice cream war problems, but taking 30%. There's a deleted scene that goes in the middle of those two, and it is of him and Charlotte, which is, of course, Claire Grogan's character, effectively striking a deal that they're just going to do it together, the two of them. All right, okay. In terms of doing the... The ice cream flip. The ice cream saviour, the... Yeah, and then I think, yeah, so that at the end, kind of him in the, the radio studio is more kind of him smug, you know, he's got the girl he's that's why he's he's doing that but they left that out for some reason and i think bill forsyth has said it would have kind of wrapped things up a a little bit more yeah you know and, and made it a little bit lighter in, in terms of him saying he wants to be a, a serious kind of journalist and doing the documentary i mean he does start doing it but then he gets involved in the ice cream because that's before he i think it's it, before he meets the before he meets the mccools it's before he meets mr mccool yeah, yeah. I think so yeah so that's when he kind of, then he gets too involved and it's, you know, the documentary's out the window. He's just trying to solve this. You know, he's caught in the middle of it. So I think that's the issue. He's he's almost forgotten about the documentary. And then bear in mind, Hillary, his boss, does say that he's not getting back onto air until he's seen the psychiatrist because he, he thinks he's mad because he's going on about this Mr. Bunny that he's trying to help and that he's seeing all these Mr. Bunnies and he has to go to uh, the psychologist stroke sailing enthusiast. Yeah, that that that's a bit of a nod to the old uh, James Stewart film Harvey, where James Stewart yes. seeing this imaginary uh, this imaginary rabbit nobody else can see. But um, the scene with the psychiatrist is is actually quite good. When he's talking, when he's making the naval analogy about being between two boats on the rope and not being able to see either boat and everything, and the psychiatrist gets all upset because that's his story. <laughs> Obviously, Ricky Fulton had had told him the story earlier on in the movie um, from his Navy days. So yeah, I, was, I, I quite like that scene. I'm not sure who the actor was who, who played the psychiatrist. Never seen him in anything else. But I'd have to say, probably not the strongest performance in the movie. No. Maybe it wouldn't. Uh, probably not. I think only probably outdone by the actor who played uh, one of the brothers. I think, was it Paolo? Yeah. Possibly he was, yeah, not the, the strongest yeah. of actors. Uh, but I think it's his only role that he's actually been in. I really enjoyed Ricky Fulton's scenes in this. Uh, you know, they, we, he's, when we were first introduced to him and his secretary's trying to show him how to use the computer. <laughs> as Dickie's coming in, as, I keep calling him Dickie, as Alan's coming into the, the office, he can hear all these laughing and sort of suggestive noises and not quite sure what he's going to walk in on. And there's uh, Ricky Fulton and his secretary trying to get their head around the new computer. <laughs> I think Ricky Fulton just is he's, he's he's just one of those guys that I remember from my kid when I was a kid. You just look at him and he makes you laugh. You know what I mean? He's just one of those really really like unconsciously funny guys. You know? I think are we wired wrongly nowadays? Not wired wrongly, but like when I first saw that scene i'm thinking oh, okay sleazy boss trying it on with secretary you know back in 1984 this would have been fine then of course you instantly realize he's not that way at all he's a really good nice guy and he's you know he's just the station boss and he's a nice guy he's helping he wants to genuinely help you know alan it's nothing sinister really going on mm-hmm. there 
But now we're conditioned when we see him there thinking, you know, it's just a bit of harmless fun and flirting. But we're thinking, oh, is he, you know, going to slap her on the ass in a minute or something? Yeah, yeah I know. He's, he's, uh, the, that scene's also got the great line after um, Alan's left his office and he calls up to try and find out if there's a sanity clause in uh, Alan's, um, Alan's contract. And he's like, no, no, a sanity clause. <laughs> I don't know, you kind of wonder how much of it is, how much of that was written and how much of it was Ricky Fulton just improvising, you know? Yeah, I'd imagine that he probably had a a fair bit of kind of free reign Mm -hmm. in that. And I guess a lot like, again, it says to uh, Bill Forsyth, you know, of course, and we've covered Gregory's Girl uh, previously and he had Chick Murray. Yeah. In there, so you know, was this kind of the same little nod of having Ricky Fulton in there as a, a little kind of guest starring role? But again, he he does kind of steal a lot of the film yeah. in his his performance. Yeah, I mean, he, he did the same with um, local hero. He got Fulton Mackay, um, who used to play one of the used to play the kind of screw in Porridge. Ronnie Barker, um, he's 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 quite a big part in local hero. And if I remember, he died eats every scene that he's in, even the one with Burt Lancaster. Before we delve too far into the film, we have to give out one of our first awards of this film. And we're going to make this a regular thing. And it is in terms of the Taggart score. Right. Now, we tried it earlier on in the Swally, but we're going to make this a thing. So, can you think of someone in the film that would have a high Taggart score? Uh, Alex Norton has got 61 Taggart appearances. Yeah, now that, okay, okay, <laughs> I I can give you that. Now, speaking of Alex Norton, he has now become our outright leader in the Swally Tally. <laughs> he has four appearances. Out of the ten episodes we've done so far, he has four appearances. He has been in Gregory's Girl, he has been in Orphans, he's been in Complicity, and he has been in Comfort and Joy. Uh, Dave Anderson and Stephen McCall are hot on his heels, though, with three appearances each. Now, okay, I can give you Alex Norton for that. Okay, you're going to win. I thought I had the winner, but you're right. However, who did you have? I had George, who helps Maddie move out at the start of the film. Now, it's uh, Ron Donaghy. Right. The actor. And he's been in absolutely everything. He gets the, I mean, he can get the most Taggart appearances award. And I think he also gets the James Cosmo award for he has been in everything. He was in High Road for a while. Right. That's where I think I remember him from mostly. Yeah. And there was an article in the Daily Record a few years ago about where are the stars of Take the High Road now? And he's in it. And the first line in his kind of biography says, definitely one of those actors you recognise from being in almost everything. Ron CV is pretty impressive. He's he's one of the ship's captains in Titanic. He's in Filth. Filth? Filth. Um, he's in Game of Thrones. He's in Still Game. He's in Casualty. He's in Taggart. Not only is he in Taggart, he's been in Taggart five times. Not only has he been in Taggart five times, he's been in Taggart five times playing five different characters. That has to be a record. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, who was a Frank uh, Frank Gallagher? He had, he had, he he. I think he had done five different taggers as well, and five different characters. I think we can uh, we can revisit that then the next time Frank Gallagher's in something that we cover. Yeah. But I I thought Ron Donaghy five appearances, five different characters. That's a an impressive tagger. Mm-hmm. Tally, taggart tally, taggart tally. <laughs> Too close to swally tally. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, sort of Bill Forsyth regulars in smaller roles. Oh, you know, you've got Claire Grogan, who's uh, famously in, in Gregory's Girl, but Robert Buchanan, from who plays Gregory's pal in Gregory's Girl, and he was also, I think he was the lead in that sinking feeling. He pops up in the warehouse as, as one of Trevor's workmen, and like when... <laughs> when Alan's leaving the warehouse and they're all eating their dinner off the bonnet of his car. Remember, he got the toolbox in the car. And I, I, I'm never sure I pronounce his name correctly, but Douglas uh, Sanachan, 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 um, who is in Gregory's Girl, has perhaps the best line in the movie. If I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the window. He's doing the hello, folks, for the jingle in the. You know, where the guy's playing the jingle and the xylophone, he's doing the vocal. Did you, did you spot him? That's possibly one of my favourite parts of the film. <laughs> it's it's so Bill Forsyth yeah. because it's so ridiculously surreal that he turns up at the Mr. Bunny warehouse and there's literally a guy playing a xylophone <laughs> with, as you say, recording it. Yeah. Hello, folks. <laughs> Just over and over again. It's so surreal and it is so Bill Forsyth. I absolutely adore that. And then it's on a par with when, to skip ahead slightly, and uh, hey, it's a swally, we move around. When uh, the Mr. McCool team effectively invade the Mr. Bunny garage, and they're all stood there with literally comical weapons. Like, this guy's got a massive mallet, yeah. and then this other guy's got a crossbow. <laughs> And they're all, you know, kind of running in. And then you see the guy with the xylophone and <laughs> the Hello Folks guy just picking everything up, the table up and kind of shuffling out to the side. <laughs> and then the guy's got this massive, like, comical mallet that you would see in a Tom and Jerry cartoon and smashing out of the ice cream vans. Just brilliant. The, the, that was, for me, one of the best parts of the film. That was a, it, It's a Bill Forsyth film when you see that. Well, the, what I did enjoy about the film, actually, is, you know, it's set in, set in Glasgow and filmed on location. And there's quite a lot of spots that I'm kind of intimately familiar with. Like, for example, where he's recording, or he's trying to record his serious kind of journalistic piece at the quayside, that's where Frankie and Benny's is now. I worked, obviously, obviously worked there for years. And when I think about, because I remember Glasgow in the sort of early and in, in, in mid eighties when I was a kid, and it was just felt like it was changing really quickly. And where 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 you see the Waverley, the steamer, the the steamer, I mean, it, it was still moored there, and everything sort of changed around it. So the Daily Record building that you see a couple of times, it was knocked down, and a new one built in the same place. There's a load of new apartments opposite there, but but they're not, well, they're not new now. They were new like in fucking. 1987 or something like that, um, and they and then when the when they're in sort of North Glasgow up near Sight Hill and near Springburn and everything, it's quite interesting to see how 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 it's how it changed over the years, you know. And it's it's, it's described as being kind of post-industrial Glasgow. Like, uh, like I remember reading that in the blurb about the film, you know, kind of comfort and joy set in post-industrial Glasgow in 1984. The other Bill Forsyth part that I really enjoy is did you listen to the news reports yeah. as they're being read out on the radio yeah now obviously they're all about war and death mm. but i particularly love the updates on the panda <laughs> yeah. who was gifted to a russian zoo 
from, or is that Russian Circus? Russian Circus. From, yeah. oh, it's a zoo uh, from a Chinese zoo. And comical updates of, oh, the panda might be pregnant. Oh, the panda is pregnant. And then the last news report, oh, the panda has died <laughs> and she's going to be stuffed and placed as a tribute outside the zoo <laughs> as a, a gift from China. <laughs> it's so subtle, it might be missed by a lot of people watching because it's just, you know, kind of the radio in the background. But again, it's a such a, a lovely, subtle Bill Forsyth kind of joke that carries on throughout the film. I like I like the jingles as well because, you know... Obviously, you see, you, you you hear all the jingles when in the scenes when Alan's doing his radio show, but there's a lot of scenes when the radio is just playing as he's driving around. <laughs> I was like, was it the one about the news and how we bring you all the news while you're in your car? <laughs> I just think I just thought it was really really funny. But again, it's these sort of light Bill Forsyth kind of signature touches, you know. Um, that have been certainly all... I mean, I've never seen any of his films that he did in the US. I know he did one with Robin Williams. Um, he did, I think, one in Canada and stuff. Um, I've only I've only seen his Scottish output. But they, they have a particular... Almost a particular brand of um, comedy, you know? Like, I'm the same. I don't think I've really seen much of his American output, yeah. if any. And I wonder if it does carry over the same. I, I, I know, especially the one with Rob Williams, I don't think it worked out too well. No. So I don't know if it did work. And uh, this was his last film in Scotland until Gregory's Two, Gregory's Girl. Two Girls. Yeah, the least said about that, the better. <laughs> oh, we'll cover that as well <laughs> at some point, I'm sure. So I was interested to find out that Eleanor David who plays Maddie, um, Alan's girlfriend at the beginning of the film, who leaves him. And also the actor Patrick Malahide, who plays his bestest friend, who's a doctor. Neither of them are Scottish. They're both English mm. actors. So I was, when I was trying to decide who to give the Johnny Lee Miller Award for Best Scottish Accent to, I think kind of have to give it to both of them. What do you think? Mm. Both very convincing. They were indeed, actually. Uh, I think... Probably both have an equal amount of lines as well, yeah. in terms of, you know, Maddie has a couple of dream sequences. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's up to you. You can give that award out. Yeah, I think I think we'll give it to both of them. They can share it. Joint winners. Okay, they can share it. Joint winners. That's one thing I, I really enjoyed as well, in terms of, and I wonder if it would have been different in, uh, you know, an American audience if it had been an American film. Very near. I mean, I think we're not even three, four minutes into the film. And it's well established that Alan is very much in this relationship with Maddie. They've been out shoplifting in Fraser's together. They come home, they have sex, they have a little drink, and then she just starts packing up and leaving him. It's not until later we find out they've been together for four years. And Alan's devastated at, at losing her. And that's kind of why he falls into this negotiation of the ice cream war. He doesn't try and get her back at all, though. No. During the film. He has a couple of dream sequences where he sees her, but not once does he try and get in contact with her or try and win her back. Yeah. If this had been like an American film, he's going to be trying to win her over by getting her ice cream. <laughs> I've, you know, I've won the turf. I've, you know, I've solved the crime. I've, I've brought these families to peace. No, he, he doesn't even think about, well, he thinks about her, but he doesn't try at all. You know, even on Christmas Day, when he's given his speech, he doesn't give like a, a heartfelt dedication to her or anything. It's, I, yeah, I really like that. 
but he just doesn't even try. He just fucks it off. <laughs> I mean, to your point, if this had been an American film, the 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 war between the two families would have been a lot more violent. It'd have been like sort of drive-by shootings on ice cream vans and. <laughs> Do you think it would have been ice cream vans or would it have been like hot dog stands? Yeah, maybe. I suppose they, well, they have ice cream vans in the US, don't they? I think they do. Maybe. Yeah, I don't I think know. They do. I think they do. Um, yeah, well, I, think, in, I think they do. In terms of the, the Colin character as well, is it just me or was there something quite sinister going on there? I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but he didn't seem quite the, the hero... You know, I don't know. There was something about him. It was almost as if there was something there that wasn't quite right. But I couldn't put my finger on it. But ultimately, it was all fine in the end. But he just didn't seem. Yeah, he was a bit dry, wasn't he? I think that was it. He was a wee bit. He was quite. Yeah, he was quite dry. Um, I mean, the the scenes at his house between him and Alan, I thought were quite good. You know, when these little girls and all that kind of thing, and the little girl brings the dolly in and. It's fucking arms and legs and all that, all that are off because she's been trying to operate on it. Yeah, I like that and I like the humour between that. However, did you see the size of the house? Why is Alan sleeping in the same room as the girls? Yeah, I know that was a bit weird. But yeah, just for just for comic effect. It's 1984, it was a different time. Obviously paedophiles did exist then. We know Jimmy Savile, Rolf Harris, etc. We're not saying anything about Alan. He was a DJ, you know, just like Jimmy... But I don't think he was a wrestler. Uh, but why? Surely the the house is big enough. Why doesn't he sleep on the sofa? You had to sleep at the sofa when you went to your mum and you know yeah. his house. And you're complaining about that. Surely Alan wouldn't have complained. He was pissed enough. He could have slept on the sofa. There was no need for him to be sleeping in that little girl's room. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. But like you know, it was a bit of a more innocent, a bit of a more innocent time. I don't think there was anything implied. By him sleeping in there, I think it was just it, it it allowed a set up for a kind of funny scene, you know, between Alan talking to the wee girl about she but she wants him to play a to to play a record for some some boy that she likes at school, but he can't he he can't know that it's from her. <laughs> I mean, you you mentioned it you mentioned earlier on sh- shoplifting in the house of Fraser. I I had that as my archetypal sort of Scottish moment <laughs> in the film. What, shoplifting from House of Fraser? Yeah. <laughs> on Argyle Street. That's Argyle Street. Buchanan Street. Well, it's in the corner of... Buchanan it's on Street. The, it's in the corner of Buchanan Street and Argyle Street, so... That's your archetypal Scottish moment. Yeah. Shoplifting out of House of Fraser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what, did you, what did you have for archetypal Scottish moment? For me, it was when Alan has finished his meeting with Mr. McCool, and he's leaving, and he says, oh... Um, I think I've missed the shops. Could I get a pint of milk from you at all? <laughs> and Mr. McCool says, yeah, of course. And he comes out and Alan, of course, offers, you know, Scottish way. Oh, let me pay for it. And Mr. McCool says, well, if you insist, it's 20 pence. <laughs> Here, let me pay for this. Well, if you insist, it's 20 pence. That's exactly what we paid. Uh, and... <laughs> That was my archetypal Scottish moment. Maybe just being a tight-fisted Aberdonian. That was why I came into it. 
<laughs> just um, I just find that uh, quite amusing and quite ah, oh, that's very Scottish. If, oh, if you insist, it's twipe. Yeah, I I also had um, bird shit on the car. I mean, coming from Aberdeen, that's got to be something that reminds you because because obviously the seagulls in Aberdeen. You could come out to your car the next day and it could be a fucking different colour. I did, uh, yeah, but of course that's very symbolic that he has the bird shit and he's wiping it off. Mm. And then five minutes later, he's wiping off the ice cream (laughs) from the car roof as well. That was very symbolic, yeah. Well, I guess, actually, no, I think we've both kind of done a disservice there. The most archetypal Scottish thing in it, which wasn't a thing at the time, but it is now, is deep frying confectionery. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good pull. I never thought of that. No, neither did I until now. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. But yeah, deep frying ice cream is the, you know, I mean, of course, it's ice cream fritters back in the day. But did he effectively invent the deep fried Mars bar craze? I thought it was a chip shop in Stonehaven outside Aberdeen that was the first one to come up with a deep fried Mars bar. Well, it was, yeah. but I'm just wondering if, if they were uh, inspired by comfort and joy. Yeah, you I mean, deep fried ice cream is very nice. Got to be said, it's, but it's not easy to do <laughs> for obvious reasons. And do you think Alex Norton plays a convincing Italian? Say like Scottish Italian? <laughs> no, he's not at all. <laughs> not at all. He is brilliant. In yeah, yes. I, I, I do love him, and he delivers one of the because we were considering having a a swally kind of best use of swearing award for this. And I was looking at this film very closely. There's literally one swear word in the entire film. Which makes it so lovely. You know, it's a wholesome family film. It's a Christmas film. Of course it is. But he delivers it so beautifully when he's just like, you brought them here, you bastard. (laughs) You brought them here, you bastard. You're a dead man, Dickie You are a dead man. He has to win it for that. Uh, But yeah, he's great in it. And again, because obviously it's not long after Gregory's Girl, Mm. he's still looking like a young Phil Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. And I think it was like the year before he would do his first Taggart when he plays he plays one of the suspects. But then the interesting thing about Bill Patterson in this film is this came out in 1984. So he made this the same year as he was in The Killing Fields. So you couldn't get a more opposite <laughs> fucking film to comfort and joy than the story about Pol Pot and the Cambodia genocide. Uh, no, it's quite different, yeah. I think, yeah. Going from that to, yeah, Ice Cream Wars in Glasgow. Yeah, it's it's quite a, a big departure there. Despite me having a bit of a moan about the film at the big, when we started talking about it, it's got a 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. In fact, most of Bill Forsyth's films have got very high approval, approval ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. That's because he's so loved and so wonderful. But he hasn't done like an all, he hasn't really made an awful lot. I mean, he's not, he's not, that's, you know, he's not made a film for like 21 years. Yeah, I think he he hasn't done a lot, but he's what he's done is is great. I mean, I think as I touched upon at the, the start of this, I mean, if you take those four first films, they're just so great because they're so quirky, but they're so grounded in reality, but just quite surreal in ways as well. Yeah, and I think that's why they appeal so much to to certainly me mm-hmm. and a, a, a lot of the audiences, and I think that's probably why they're they're so fondly thought of. Well, he was ahead of his time. Apparently, Quentin Tarantino has a list of what he considers to be the coolest movies 
up until whenever. And Comfort and Joy is one of his movies. Oh wow, really? Yeah, that's that's amazing. There's a there's a document. I remember actually, I actually remember watching it when it was on the TV. But I watched it again on YouTube, and it was uh, BBC Scotland were doing a series of shows where sort of two two famous Scottish people would meet up with each other. So one particular good one was uh, when Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream met Irvin Welsh. Um, so it was like when when Irvin met Bobby, and they did uh, when when Bill Forsyth met Bill Patterson. So they hmm. they kind of meet up in Glasgow. They obviously talk about because they're 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 almost exactly the same age, and they mm-hmm. grew up not far from each other, quite similar childhoods and things like that. A big part of the TV show is they talk about the making a comfort and joy, which is why I watched it. And um, Bill Forsyth mentions that he said apparently it's on a. It's on Quentin Tarantino's list of coolest movies. And he said, I don't know if that's maybe where he got the idea for Mr. Brown and Mr. White, Mr. Pink, you know, Mr. Bunny from Comfort and Joy. (laughs) I would love to see a Quentin Tarantino remake of Comfort and Joy. It would be a lot bloodier, Mm. I think. A lot more violence in terms of the... The ice cream war. Yeah, it would be a lot easier to hand out the Francis Begbie Award for best swearing. Uh, yes, certainly would be. I'd uh, two good bits of of trivia from this film. So Hillary, uh, Ricky Fulton's office, there is a a gold disc on the wall. You know, it's a it's it might seem a bit odd. It's a radio station. Yeah, you know, but having a gold disc on the wall, uh, that gold disc belonged to Claire Grogan, and it was from Altered Images. Happy birthday. Oh, really? A genuine gold disc on the wall. Oh, nice. And my second bit of trivia is that all of the ice cream in the film was supplied by Peter Capaldi's family. That's right, because I think you I think you pointed it out when we did the Gregory's Girl episode that the chip shop where Gregory meets one of the dates is one of the Capaldi family's chip shops. That's right, right? Yeah, yeah. it's called Capaldi's. Yeah. And of course, Peter Capaldi himself is in Local Hero. So... It's a uh, yeah, quite a link to Bill Forsyth there with Peter Capaldi. Very good. What do you, so? What do you think the best scene was? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, it has to be the the scene where Mr. McCool's squad kind of barge into Mr. Bunny's warehouse, and they've got all the comedy mallets and crossbows, and there's just this violence going on everywhere. But it's kind of comedy violence, and then Alan tries to escape in his BMW, and well, he does escape, but it's. You know, they're kind of set upon by the Mr. Bunny team trying to boot the hell out of the car. And then once he goes off, they all stop and pause and then run back into the warehouse to kind of protect their, their thing. I think that probably is my, my favourite scene. What about yourself? I think my favourite scene is uh, the scene when the ice cream van gets smashed up near the beginning. <laughs> One bit that did make me like laugh out loud is when Alan comes back over at the van to see if everybody's okay. And Trevor's like, are you okay? Do you want a refill for your 99? (sighs) And he's very much, no, it's all okay, it's all okay, it's all under control, it's fine. And then the the van drives off, obviously completely fucked on one side. It's limping away. It is very, uh, very comical. Also, the the kind of low-speed chase through the, the streets when Alan puts the call out to Mr. Bunny on the radio show that he, you know, same time, same place, and he's driving around this housing estate and losing him at dead ends and finding him and ends up crashing into him and Trevor's like I was coming to find you you dick <laughs> you didn't have to crash into me <laughs> and it's the seriousness of when he's like 
this is my last van. That's my whole fleet out of commission now. <laughs> Mr. Bunny is off the streets. <laughs> I, did, I did wonder with it, because I got a bit nostalgic um, for the ice cream vans. Because when, when I was a wee boy, my mum and I uh, lived in Rob Royston in Glasgow, which is near Bishop Briggs. And we lived in a, on a Barrett housing estate and there was no shops on there. There was like zero shops. So the ice cream van used to come a few times a day. And we would, we used, they were, they were still building everywhere in this housing estate. And they, they didn't put, they didn't like put fences up or anything to keep you out. So we, we used to play in the building sites, but we used to go looking for um, empty bars, bottles, like empty iron brew bottles and things, because you could go and quite often the the workmen would leave them behind and you could go and take them to like scream van and they would give you 10p for them um so uh, but what i don't know if this was intentional or not but did you notice right in the front of the scream van so you're you're in marketing right at the front of the scream van that's like prime uh it's like this is what i'm looking for it's like it's like prime real estate for moving products you know you've got your you would have like your impulse items there They've got. Do you remember Ascot? <laughs> yes, I did notice the Ascot powder. Yeah, for the moment, that was the one of the first things I noticed. The, the, the campaign for Ascot when I was a kid was the 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 adverts were always guys with fucking dreadful hangovers looking at themselves in the mirror in the morning. Oh, and they would have their Ascot to straighten them out so they could go on with their day after like a heavy night the night before. So why the fuck would you be selling that? Right at the front of an ice cream van, <laughs> but then well, maybe that's the thing. You, you, what's better for a hangover? You get a nice ice cream, a glass bottle of and brew, and a, and a packet of asket. Packet asket. I don't think they make asket anymore. Yeah, funny. I did think that when I saw that, yeah. I, I did get quite nostalgic, and it brought back a lot of memories. I mean, I'd imagine at that time in Glasgow, you were getting a kind of different kind of powder from your ice cream van <laughs> yeah. when you were. Going there, so maybe it wasn't ask it. That maybe was it wasn't. Yeah, maybe not. So yeah, have we have we have we done all the categories? There's no, we can't award the we can't do the Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity because it's a obviously it's a festive family film. No one gets their kit off. I think I, th- I, th- I, th- I think the most is near the beginning when uh, when Dickie's got his his shirt unbuttoned right down to his sort of navel. And um, we've done the. We've done the James Cosmo Award for being in everything. We've done the Swearing Award and the Taggart Award. Um, we haven't done the Sean Connery Award for who won the movie, also known as who got to go home and fuck the prom queen award. <laughs> um, that's a good point. Who won the movie? I, I, obviously, you can't really look past Bill Patterson, yeah. I would say, for this. I think he he really does. You know, you could say Ricky Fulton mm. kind of steals a lot of the film. Yeah. Uh, for the what two scenes he's in, yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, Bill Patterson wins the film. Yeah, for me, definitely. He's very good. He's very, very. You know, he's a nice guy. Like I say, he should come across as a smarmy arsehole, but he's he's a really nice, likable guy. Kind of do the right thing, you know. And you can see that when he's in the the hospital speaking to the the old woman. Yeah, you know, he he genuinely cares, and he's he's genuinely nice, and he's happy to take over his colleagues Christmas afternoon shift so he can spend time with his family on Christmas Day and, and do that and you know it, it, he's just a nice guy Yeah. so yeah I think he he wins the film for me. Did you notice the two guys when he was doing the he was recording the commercial and the two guys, one's wearing a Superman t-shirt and the other guy looks like Clark Kent 
I did notice that. <laughs> I meant to look up who they were, actually, because they're just in it for such a fleeting moment, yeah. but they did leave quite an impression for me. <laughs> Almost as much of an impression as Claire Grogan, who, of course, isn't credited as Claire Grogan in this. She's credited as C.P. Grogan. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't have many lines. The ones she does, most of them are in Italian because she's meant to be Italian. Yeah, she looks lovely in this film. She does. I was thinking that. You know, you think about it, this is... <laughs> This is what three years after Gregory's girl. She, she. I don't know if it's. I think John Gordon Sinclair is quite a tall guy, so she looks quite short next to him in Gregory's girl. But mm. in, I guess Alex Norton's not a particularly big guy, so in this she looks quite tall. You know, it, you know, with, with a perm and everything, and yeah, she's uh, she looks uh, she's foxy in um, in uh, comfort and joy. Yeah, Gregory would be beside himself if he saw her. Yeah. In that ice cream van, but I think we just don't we just don't really see enough of her. I don't think. No, it's a shame. It's a very small kind of limited role and very mute. I mean, I guess she was quite busy with altered images at this time. Yeah. But it's a shame. But you know, good honor for coming back for a, a Bill Forsyth film because she probably didn't need to at that time. But the other th- the other thing that we've not mentioned actually is the soundtrack has has Mark Knopfler once again. Um, providing the music but it's not quite as distinctive as his score for local hero i don't think i mean i, I can't even i mean I, I i could i could whistle the local hero music right now um but i couldn't even though i watched comfort and joy this morning i couldn't uh i couldn't relate the theme tune there were a couple of good tunes but yeah you're right it's not instantly recognizable and and memorable yeah but there were a couple of parts that I think it was especially when the the big fight's going on and Alan's kind of running into his BMW. There's a certain little, it's like a little electro kind of score mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, that's quite good. It's kind of, you know, it was like, it was very much, you know, 80s, yeah. uh, early kind of score. And it, it, but yeah, it was very good. But yeah, of course, I guess you can't speak about it without speaking about the soundtrack and him, uh, yeah, Martin Offler doing all of it. And of course, Alan at one point does say, you know, references something about being in Dire Straits. Well, that's the thing, because there's a few lines... The, the, the Dire Straits album, Love Over Gold, there's a few lyrics from a, some of the songs on Love Over Gold in the script. And uh, Rufus, the other guy who works in the radio station, he is talking about something, and, and he kind of quotes this line. And <laughs> Dickie Allen shakes his head and goes, Oh, Dire Straits, and I, I, I didn't really realise it. I didn't because I'm not like familiar with uh, Love Over Gold or the songs on it. I think the only Dire Straits songs I know are Money for Nothing and and Walk of Life and Brothers in Arms, like three songs. But when I was, I read about that today, and when when I remembered it, it did make me laugh because it's quite a sort of tongue in cheek wink at the camera moment. And I, 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 I like that kind of thing, you know. So, is, uh, are you feeling festive now after talking about comfort and joy? Yeah, extremely festive. I'm ready to rock and roll Christmas Day tomorrow. So, yeah, it's going to be all good. But no, it was nice to, I can't say revisit uh, comfort and joy because it was the first time I'd seen it. But it was really nice to watch it. It's it's just festive enough for me. Yeah. So, I was, I was very happy and I... Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say I find it boring. I, I'll be honest, I think it's, it's slightly over our swally mark, and I think it's an hour and 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it flew by when I watched it. I think I watched it like one afternoon, right. and it just flew by for me. Really enjoyed it. Maybe I, maybe I just wasn't in the mood, but I don't know. 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, there's, there's loads of parts of it that I really enjoyed. But I just think sort of overall, it was just a wee bit slow for me. I don't know. Well, okay. Well, I think we're going to maybe move things up a pace then in terms of the next episode when we do a New Year's special. What are we going to look at that time, Greg? Well, for obviously we've... This is going out at Christmas, so we've covered Comfort and Joy um, as a festive movie. Um, when I was growing up, every Hogmanay was Scotch and Rye before the bells. Like, you know, you would have you would have like the fireworks from Edinburgh. In fact, I don't even know if they were even doing the fireworks in Edinburgh when Scotch and Rye were on. Maybe not. But I remember when I was just old enough, where I was allowed to stay up for the bells. So probably about I don't know about nine or ten or something like that. We'd watch Scotch and Rye every year. Um, so we're, we're not going to watch every single episode that was ever made of Scotch and Rye, but we're going to watch some best ofs. I'm looking forward to... Because I've not, I've not watched Scotch and Rye for, since it was on. And it's, I, don't, I don't think it's been on for about maybe 20 years, maybe even longer than that. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Ricky Fulton in Comfort and Joy. I've forgotten just how funny he could be. So I'm looking forward to watching it. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, it's been a very long time since I've seen any scotch and rye. And I'll look forward to watching that and talking about it next week. So have a very Merry Christmas um, and uh, and a Happy New Year. Thank you very much. And you too. And to all our listeners, have a, a wonderful Christmas. And we will speak to you next week in New Year. Thanks very much for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at culture swally pod or you can follow us on twitter at swally pod and if you would like to email us and get in touch with us with any amusing scottish news stories you've seen or anything you'd like us to cover or review then drop us a line on culture swally at gmail.com so as we mentioned have a very merry christmas all right merry christmas thanks very much all the best all right merry christmas speak soon Bye. Bye. Oh, no. Get yourself to